You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. The true spirit of prophecy always shows itself in bearing witness to Jesus and Jesus alone. And thus any other teaching of prophecy that takes our minds and hearts away from him is not being properly communicated. And so whatever text of scripture we find in the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, uh, it should direct our minds and our understanding to the person of Jesus Christ. When you choose to follow Jesus, it should begin a shift in your heart that expands into every aspect of your life. That shift will move you from focusing on serving self and seeking comfort and pleasure to a life that's primarily focused on serving Jesus and carrying out His mission in this world. As Pastor Mike will point out in today's message, this is the nature of all of Scripture, including any prophecy it contains, and the life of everyone who comes into God's kingdom should reflect that. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 19 as he begins his message, The Glorious Appearing. Okay, let me set up this Bible study by going back to a couple of verses that were a part of our text last time together, when for the first time we moved into chapter 19. Let's go ahead and read verses 9 and uh, 10 of chapter 19. Then he said to me, and the he here is referring to an angel, and John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible, had this encounter with this uh, angel that we were introduced to uh, in our last study. So then he, the angel, said to me, John, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. This, by the way, was a blunder on John's part, and I'll explain why in just a moment. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of uh, prophecy. Now listen, there's a huge difference, okay, between an angel and a human uh, being. So don't be thrown by what is recorded here for us when the angel rebukes John for trying to worship him and then refers to himself as a fellow a servant. 
Okay, so there's a huge difference between angels and mankind, but the one thing that they both have in common is that they are both servants of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why he refers to himself in that uh, way. Well, anyway, John beholds this glorious scene of the church in heaven. Remember last time, that's what we were talking about. They are clothed in both the righteousness of Christ, notice there in verse 8, as well as the righteousness of their good works, and they are ready to be received of him. That is, ready to be received of Jesus and participate in the marriage uh, uh, feast of the Lamb. And so John is just overwhelmed. He's in awe. And thus, Christ and his church are now united together, never to be separated anymore. You know, boy, you know, how true this is. You know, I think we're all looking forward to that day when we are united together with Christ, the object of our affection. And what a day of rejoicing that's going to be when we see him face to face, right? And in that day, there will be no more tears. All tears will be wiped away from our eyes. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more temptation to sin, right? We'll be with the object of our affection, Uh, From that moment throughout all of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be. But then, you know, to finally realize, wow, I've made it. How many times have we thought, am I really going to make it? You know, we're dealing with all of the obstacles that we've had to overcome, sin, temptation, the struggles that we've encountered in our Christian experience and our walk with the Lord. But then to know that we finally made it. We're in the presence of the Lord, never to be separated from him, Uh, again. And uh, what a blessing that's going to be. So no wonder John is just overwhelmed here and in awe. His people, radiant in that redemption for which they hoped and suffered. You know, there is this old hymn that I found in an old commentary of mine. The writer is unknown, describing those who are attending the marriage feast of the Lamb. Would you like me to share it with you? Can I share it with you? Okay, well, it goes like this. Okay, and this is, uh, this is a chorus. We don't know who the writer is. And depicting the marriage supper of the Lamb, which, by the way, all of you who are born again of the Spirit of God will be in attendance. And it goes like this. There be prudent prophets all, the apostles six and six, the glorious martyrs in a row, and confessors betwixt. There doth the crew of righteous men and nations all consist. Young men and maids that here on earth their pleasures did resist. The sheep and lambs that hardly scaped the snare of death and hell. Triumph in joy eternally, whereof no tongue can tell. And though the glory of each one, yet is the joy of all alike. And common certainly, there David stands with harp in hand as master of the choir, a thousand times that man were blessed, that might his music hear. There Mary sings, magnificent, with tunes surpassing sweet, and all the virgins bear their part, singing about her feet. To Diem doth St. Ambrose sing, St. Austin doth the same, old Simon and Zachariah anew their songs in flame. Their Magdalene, has left her moan and cheerfully doth sing with all blessed saints whose harmony 
through every street doth ring. And in that holy company, may you and I find place through worth of him who died for us and through his glorious grace. With cherubim and seraphim and hosts of ransomed men to sing our praises to the Lamb and add our glad amen. Isn't that cool? I just, I just felt like I needed to share that with you. So that, that's a chorus. That's a, a song depicting the marriage supper of the Lamb. And again, as I've already mentioned, all of us will be in attendance. And, what, and again, what a day of rejoicing that's going to uh, be. And so anyway, this revelation that had been given to John, who passes it along to us, was, it was just too overpowering for John. It so thrilled his soul and stimulated his senses of grateful wonder and adoration. And thus, he fell down before the angel's feet to worship him. But again, notice, the angel, uh, this error, was promptly uh, corrected. Let's go back to verse 10 again. See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of our prophecy. Now, I've already explained those words, fellow servant, and what that meant. But let me go on uh, to comment on, notice the angel declares here, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So in other words, I believe what the uh, angel was trying to communicate to John is that the true spirit of prophecy always shows itself in bearing witness to Jesus and Jesus alone. And thus, any other teaching of prophecy that takes our minds and hearts away from him is not being properly communicated. And so whatever text of Scripture we find in the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever, uh, it should direct our minds and our understanding to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the remainder of this chapter, chapter 19, these verses introduce us uh, to that great event anticipated for centuries, for centuries of which the Old Testament prophets wrote about. And that is, and it brings us to our first point, and if you're taking notes, write this down, and that is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That is Christ coming back, establishing his kingdom. Remember, I had mentioned that the first scene depicted here in chapter 9 was in heaven, the marriage supper of the Lamb, but the second scene that's being depicted here in chapter 19 is taking place upon the earth. And the first event is the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes back again to establish his kingdom, his government upon the earth, it's a time when all of creation must be subject to him. But before he reigns, he must subdue every enemy and opposing force. And isn't that exactly what the seven years of tribulation is all about? Remember, God is purging the earth, preparing it, making ready for his son Jesus Christ to come and establish his kingdom upon the earth. So remember, he has been directing earth's judgments, all of the judgments that we've been talking about, the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bold judgments, right? All of the cataclysmic events that were taking place upon the face of the earth before Christ's second coming. 
So he has been directing those uh, judgments from his throne in heaven. Up, that is, up until this point. But now he leaves heaven and descends to earth for the purpose of completing that work of uh, judgment. There's one last conflict that yet needs to take place, and that is the Battle of Armageddon. And so that's also what we're going to be talking about. Uh, that's another event that is being depicted for us here in the latter part of chapter 19. So the Battle of Armageddon is about to occur as the Antichrist and his forces, remember the confederation of ten nations that have aligned themselves with the Antichrist and is a part of his regime, with all of their sophisticated uh, weaponry, move into the area of Palestine to fight against Jesus and his people, Israel. Now this event was actually foreseen by the prophet Zechariah in chapter 14, in verses 1 through 3, well actually all of, pretty much all of chapter 14, but I just want to highlight a couple of verses. I don't want to go through all of it. But let's go into Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 1. Now again, this is depicting uh, Christ's second coming. Upon his second coming, he engages in this battle known as the Battle of Armageddon. The Antichrist, his forces, the Confederation of Ten Nations, come into Palestine to fight against Jesus and the nation of Israel. So this is what's being depicted here. This is what was foreseen by the prophet Zechariah, and he records it in his uh, book. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all of the nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished, Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations, and he fights in the day of battle. Now the outcome of this is described for us there in verse 9. This is the result of what uh, takes place at the conclusion of this battle. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth, In that day it shall be, the Lord is one, and his name is one. Okay, so let's go on now. Let's go back to our text. Let's read verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened. Again, John is receiving this revelation. He's receiving this vision. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness... He judges and makes war. Guess who's sitting on this white horse? It's none other than Jesus, depicting his second coming. So here, then, is the commencement of Christ's second coming. And I want you to think about this. For centuries, the scoffers have been taunting and declaring, and Peter even refers to this in his epistle in 2 Peter in chapter 3, in verse 4, where is the promise of his coming? You know, like, for example, in how many times have you uh, heard a preacher, for that matter, probably even myself, you know, warn you that time is short, and we always need to be ready and prepared to meet the Lord if he should come back today? And how many times have you been encouraged and exhorted uh, to that end? How many times have you heard messages exhorting us to be ready, to be prepared for Christ's second coming? You don't want to be like those 
you know, the ten virgins. Five were ready and five were not. You don't want to be a part of that company who weren't ready, who didn't have oil uh, in their lamps. So, but people, you know, who have heard that message for almost, what now, 2,000 years, right? The promise of his coming, and they get into this mindset of thinking, hey, you know, we've heard that before. You know, I got time and to get ready and to prepare. You know, there are just certain things that I want to experience, you know, what the world has to offer, and we continue in sin, and we know that the gospel is true, and we think to ourselves, you know, one day I'm going to get around to doing the right thing and getting right with the Lord, but, you know, I have time. There's still time, you know, to do all of the things that I want to do. So, and they use this phrase, where is the promise of his coming? They're scoffing at those kinds of exhortations to be prepared, to be ready. But now, according to what we're reading here, they are silenced by Jesus, who is the rider sitting upon the white horse. Now, this is interesting that Jesus, when he comes back, comes back sitting upon this white horse. So when Jesus comes, he comes on a white horse. Now, something significant here. In biblical times, especially among Israel, most soldiers were foot soldiers. You know, it was all hand-to-hand combat. And so to have a horse in battle gave that person a significant advantage. And thus a horse, anyone who had a horse who was engaged in a battle, it spoke of honor. It spoke of power. It spoke of speed. And also, the color of that horse, the white horse, also indicates and it speaks of ultimate victory. So I thought I'd pass that along to you. It's interesting that when Jesus comes again, he comes on this white uh, horse. But then also notice, we are uh, told that Jesus is also called faithful and true. You see that there? He's called faithful and true. Faithful and true to what? Well, simply faithful and true to revealing God to us that is in his character. Uh, The love of God, the mercy of God, the holiness of God, the justice of uh, God. Listen, you want to know what God the Father is like? Just examine and study the life of Jesus Christ. Remember that uh, conversation that Philip one of Christ's disciples, had with him. Uh, It's recorded for us in the Gospel according to John, in chapter 14 and verse 9. And upon that occasion, Philip, uh, I don't know what uh, caused him to ask this question, but uh, nevertheless, Philip asked it, and he said to Jesus, show us the Father, and it uh, sufficeth us. And so Jesus responds to that uh, request, And he says, Philip, how long have you been with me now? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And thus, we conclude that Jesus is the true and faithful witness of who God the Father is. That is in character. You know, so many people have a misconception, a misunderstanding of who God the Father is like. You know, many people think that he's this ogre and uh, with this big club. And every time we do the wrong thing, you know, he's ready to pounce upon us and beat us over the head with that club. But that's, that's not the true character of God. 
Right? God is forgiving. God is patient with us. He's forgiving. He's a God of love. He's a God of, of mercy. We're so thankful for that. But he's also a God of holiness and justice. So anyway, he is also true and faithful, uh, not only in the witness of who God the Father is, but he's also true and faithful in his uh, word. Here, think about this. He is seen coming to execute righteous judgment on the earth as he said he would. Jesus often and frequently talked about this. His promises and warnings have been rejected by many. But in this day, all will know he is faithful and true to his word. That is when he comes back a second uh, time. Okay, let's go on. Verses 12 and 13. Let me break this down for you. And notice also, describing Jesus further, his eyes were like a flame of uh, fire. The idea here is that Jesus has the capacity to discern the secret of men and women's hearts, uh, scrutinizing everything that's going on in our lives. There's nothing hidden uh, from God. So his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. You know, when I read this, I couldn't help but think of one of the further descriptions of Jesus, the King of Kings. And I think uh, the wearing of this many crowns just portrays him in his authority as the king of, uh, of kings. And then it goes on to declare, and he had a name uh, written that no one knew except himself. And so I don't, you know, I don't even want to suggest what that name may be, because simply we are told no one knew except himself. So I don't really want to uh, speculate what that name might be, but let me... Let me go ahead and take some license here, if I may. Uh, you know, there, there are some people who have suggested that this is actually a reference to what is referred to as a tetragrammaton. That is the four-letter Y-H-W-H that make up the name Yahweh, the sacred and secret name of God. So, some Bible teachers have suggested that that was the name that is being referred to here. But again, we really don't know. I just thought I'd throw that. Uh, listen, I'm not charging you any extra for that explanation, okay? And uh, so I just thought that, I'd, that I would uh, uh, mention that. And then he goes on to declare in verse 13, and he was clothed with a robe dipped in uh, blood. Now, uh, we really don't know what this refers to. This could refer to his own blood that was shed on the cross when Jesus was crucified dying in our place for our sin, or it might also refer to the blood of his enemies, the result of this final battle, this final conflict there at the Battle of Armageddon. So we really don't know. Both interpretations are open to speculation. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long to be That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you can listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. 
Check harvestnyc.org for service times. You can reserve your seat by clicking on contact and then the register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to ask you to join us in praying for all those listening to Pastor Mike's teachings. Please pray for open hearts and open ears to hear and accept truth. Thanks for praying, and thanks for joining us today. We look forward to our continuing study of Revelation next time, here on In My Father's House. There's a place for